So last year, I stayed for the whole men's retreat, and Phil came back and hung out with y'all. So this year, he stayed up there, and uh, I came back last night, kind of late. This chapel, chapel gets done pretty late. Those guys, they get really long-winded at camp, you know, um, and a lot of worship, and so I, I played the piano up with the worship band, and it's a lot of fun because there's musicians from a whole bunch of different churches, and they all come, we plug in, and we just go, and and kind of sounds pretty good. I like that when it when it works out that way. And uh, being in a in a room of I don't know 60 men um, singing their guts out is it's something. Uh, it's really something, and. Uh, it's a real privilege. I was up with my son, Isaiah, and then, so I was in a cabin with, with Preston and Alan and Isaiah and me, and it's unbelievable how smelly three boys, I mean, the socks came off, and it was instant, and, and so you ask the question, well, when was the last time you showered? And everybody goes like this. That's a problem. <laughs> so I said, listen, everybody's getting up in the morning and, and showering. And we did the rock wall yesterday, and uh, kids, kids went after that, and, and they were shooting. And I stayed away from that yesterday for whatever reason. And um, went on a bike ride with um, Kevin Williams and, and Dave Paget, and... Uh, Dave Padgett and I learned that Kevin Williams can get it done on the, on the mountain biking trail. And so between the uh, rock climbing, which I can still get that done, and the biking, um, I feel like jello this morning. <laughs> but, uh, but it's good. It's good. So I am, I am running on, on half a tank of sleep. Uh, you know, the boys, they... They were up pretty late, and last night I got in late. So you're stuck with you're stuck with sleepy Chris. But you know what's great about football season is I get great NFL Lions naps. You know, you you turn the game on, and in that first quarter, wow, the Lions are looking really good. Second quarter, man, maybe this is the year. And then the third quarter is when I fall asleep, and then I wake up when the next game has started, and I see oh the Lions lost. That's kind of how my NFL Sundays go, and uh, my boys are starting to make fun of me. They're like, Dad, why do you keep rooting for the Lions? Isaiah has decided he's a Packers fan, so he's moving out. Um, So this morning, we're going to look at a passage, Matthew uh, chapter 9. And uh, when I come in and just do a one and done, I love... I love preaching on the life of of Jesus. So this is starting in verse 35 of of chapter 9. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were were harassed and, and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's the word of God. 
Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would um, work through human flesh uh, to make your, your word new and fresh. And that uh, your Holy Spirit would, would speak to all of us this morning through your word. In your name we pray, amen. So have you ever noticed how two people can, can look at the same thing and see something completely different? Uh, maybe if you're married, that's a daily occurrence. Or, um, or maybe if you have kids, uh, that's a daily occurrence that you, for instance, music. My daughter loves BTS, and she thinks it's the greatest thing ever, just this amazing music, and I listen to it, and I'm like, it sounds like the Backstreet Boys from the 90s. It doesn't sound any different to me. But she hears something that I don't hear. You know, in, in, um, in college, in our dorm room, we always wanted some furniture besides the stuff that they leave you with. Uh, in college, and so we would go dumpster diving because one man's trash is a, another man's treasure, and I uh, slept on trash couches for years in college, and they were, you know, somebody threw that ugly couch away. Uh, I remember one year we pulled a, you know, we were on a Christian campus, and we pulled a couch up into our dorm, and and we found a lamp, too, and we turned it on, and we're like, man, this is cool and cozy. So then we stuck our hands down into the cushions, and we pulled out a bag of marijuana, and, and we should probably do something with this. We threw it away. <laughs> I have this painting that's currently down in my cellar that my great aunt, my great aunt was a painter, and she passed many years ago, and when she passed... We all got one of her paintings, and, and I look at this painting, and it's a beautiful kind of um, forest scene. It has a nice frame, and I really like it. It takes me someplace when I look at it, and it was a family member, and I love looking at it. My wife says, we're not hanging that hideous thing in their room. She, she hates that painting, which is why it's down in the cellar, and, you know, we both look at it, and and we see something different. And, you know, it's okay for her to be wrong. And our relationship is stronger than, than that painting. So we find ourselves today towards the beginning of the book of Matthew, which is um, one of my favorite, favorite books in the Bible, particularly because the Sermon on the Mount uh, is found in Matthew uh, 5, 6, and seven, and um, every verse is mind-blowing. Um, and I love to go back to that often when I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm floundering or I'm losing my way, I will go back. That's one of those passages I go back and, and read through. Um, or maybe you find yourself saying, you know what, I'm not so bad. I'm, I'm getting this, I'm doing this right. I'm getting the Christian thing think down, and I'm better than that guy. And, and then you go back and read the Sermon on the Mount, and you see the bar that he has set for us, and you go, okay, I got some work to do. So Jesus has, has taught maybe um, the most profound teaching uh, that the human ear has ever heard. 
And then he goes on a tear doing ministry and all of this stuff you've heard and you think about how many days, what if this was one day, two days, how much of this stuff did he do on the same day that he just got done preaching this amazing sermon, you know, and we see him cleansing uh, uh, the lepers and then he heals the, the centurion's servant that's paralyzed. He goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house and she's sick and he heals her and then everybody hears, hey, there's this guy healing stuff and so the crowds come and he's healing and he's casting out uh, a demons. And then they hop on the Sea of Galilee, and there's a big storm, and he, and he calms the storm. And then they come to another port, and he casts out more demons and, and heals another paralytic. Um, this is where we meet Matthew, the tax collector, and he calls him uh, to come and, and follow him. And then he resurrects the, the, the ruler's daughter. He heals blind men. He heals the mute. I mean, he is on a roll. And let me tell you, if somebody's doing that, people are coming. People are going to see what all the buzz is about. And so Jesus is teaching, and he sees all of these people. And I don't know about you, but I'd be tired. I mean, you ever been in a, in a, like you go to Cedar Point for a day, right? And you're elbow to elbow all day. It's exhausting being in the crowds, and none of them are trying to talk to you. You know, so Jesus is in crowds. Everyone's trying to get to him. Everyone wants to see him. You know, there's stories of, of, of people touching his robes and, and healing goes out. And it's the constant bombardment. You see him at times hopping on a boat and going out into the, into the waters just to get a little, a little space between all the, all the crowds and everything that's going on. And in the midst of all of this, it says this. It says, and Jesus went out. I'm going to read it again. He went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. You know, by the end of the day, I usually don't have a lot of compassion <laughs> left. I used it all up at work or on one kid, you know, because I couldn't, couldn't get him out the door quick enough. And, and your patience wears thin really fast, and I, I look at Jesus here who has every right maybe to be tired and annoyed, and he says that he has compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, sheep without a shepherd, and we don't have a lot of shepherds these days. The Bible talks about shepherds a lot. And there are shepherds still existing in parts of the world. You know, is everything okay? You don't have that video? You broke? Okay. So here's, this is uh, somewhere in Spain. And this is just kind of maybe give you an idea of what it might have looked like. And this video is from 2013. So that's a modern day shepherd right there.
It's actually kind of peaceful. I feel like I can... And they're just scattered all over the fields. So there's your lesson in <laughs> sheep and shepherds. Just to get a picture, an idea, because I know when I was, you know, as a kid growing up, I grew up in the Burbs, the idea of a sheep and shepherd was is just totally foreign uh, to me. And, and in America, we, we don't, we don't farm like that so much anymore these days because we have barbed wire fences. Um, but this picture, this metaphor of a shepherd taking care of sheep is something we see over and over again. So I went through and was just looking for places where, uh, particularly in the Old Testament, where we see the sheep and shepherd metaphor, and there's a lot. And so I just picked a few of my favorites uh, to kind of give us an idea that when Jesus says this, when this is said about Jesus and how he's feeling, that this isn't a new concept to the original uh, readers or listeners uh, of the book of Matthew. So you go all the way back to Numbers 27, and I think we have all these up there, and this is where Moses is um, handing over the reins of leadership to Joshua in Numbers 27. And it says, we shall go out, I'm sorry, not we, who? This is Moses speaking. Who shall go out before them and come in before them? Who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep that have no shepherd? In this context, the the people of Israel, particularly the wandering people of Israel, are the sheep. And Moses is the shepherd, and he's handing over the reins, or the staff, if you will, of leadership to to Joshua. You remember the familiar passage in Isaiah uh, 53. Did we break the internet? Okay, don't worry about it. We'll survive. Um, But if you're familiar with Handel's Messiah, you think of the, the song, All We Like Sheep Have Gone Astray, Isaiah uh, 53, 6, and is talking about all of us without the Lord, born into sin, that we, like sheep, have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. In 1 Kings chapter 22, the prophet Micaiah is prophesying to King Jehoshaphat about King Ahab. I mean, you've heard of King Ahab because you've heard of his wife uh, Jezebel. But he says that, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And when he prophesied that there, I wonder if maybe he had this moment with Jesus looking out on the crowds in mind. In Zechariah, Chapter 10, verse 2, it says, For the household gods uttered nonsense, and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. Or they might even be afflicted for going to the wrong shepherd if they're going to household 
gods and diviners. And I, I think of particularly our young people who often look to influencers as their rudder for how they should think and how they should see the world. And they're looking to influential, famous people on whatever you're on these days, Snapchat or Instagram or um, TikTok. That's the big one right now. Um, And they go to these false gods who offer up a false hope or a false worldview. And they're like sheep wandering, afflicted for lack of of the true shepherd. My favorite one is out of Ezekiel, and this is a longer passage, and I'd like to read the, read the whole thing. It says, this is in uh, Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 11. It says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, When he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines. And in all the inhabited places of the country, I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountains, heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pastures. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them, feed them in justice. And here he, he's painting this picture of a shepherd who is always going to do what is best for his sheep. He's going to take them to the best places They're going to feed on the best grasses. He's going to look out for them. He's going to mend their injuries. This is a passage that should fill us with with comfort and security when we think about what our shepherd, Jesus, is doing and will do for you. Uh, reading along here in, in 20, verse 20, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. This part sounds weird, but I think it'll make sense here in a moment. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust it all the week with your horns. So you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And in this context, when he talks about the servant David, he's looking ahead 
to Jesus. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. This idea of judging between sheep, what happens is, and if you so the only way I'm really familiar with this, because I did not grow up on a farm, but I've had, we've had puppies in the house. And when the puppies go to feed, the strong, bigger puppies always get plenty of food, and the weaker ones, they kind of get left out to the point where the weaker ones can, can literally die because they can't get the food because they're getting pushed out among the stronger ones. And he says he sees that among his sheep that there are strong and weak, there are rich and poor. And we live in a world where it seems that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. But as Jesus, the shepherd, it says that he will deal with those sheep in justice. And we can long for that day when wrongs will be righted. But so here's a shepherd who's not just taking care of the strong. He's looking out for the weak and he's pushing away the strong so that the weak can also be nourished and fed. What a beautiful picture of what uh, we as the church are, are to be doing as we look out for the weak and the oppressed and the downtrodden and the poor. And a lot of this language reminds us of, of Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I, I don't know why I never thought of what. Go back to that verse 4 there. This, this idea that when, when we are in these times of adversity, if you're in, in a valley here where you can't see ahead, and there, you know, if you're a, a shepherd with your sheep, there might be danger or, or uh, animals of prey lurking behind every corner. It says, the writer here, David, he says, I will not fear, you're with me. And the shepherd is armed. The reason I don't have fear is because the shepherd is ready to take care of whatever comes our way. And this idea of a rod and a staff, that one is a weapon, ready to do what needs to be done, and the other, the staff, um, the shepherd's staff, often had a large crook in it. So if 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 a sheep was to fall or, or, or get stuck in the, in the brambles or the bushes, that the, the shepherd will be able to, to lovingly nudge that, shepherd, that sheep back to where it needs. And I think about when I am in adversity or when I am stressed or I'm feeling anxious or I feel like the world is spinning out of control and you find yourself saying, why is this happening to me? I wander. I wander because my first instinct isn't to say, Lord, help me. My first instinct is to go to everything else for help 
besides the Lord, and I need correction from the Lord in adversity. I need him to guide me to the right path. And my guess is that for the sheep, the correction with the rod and the staff is not, um, not pleasant. And I think we have all been in those times where the times that we need him most are the times we run far away from him looking for answers in all the wrong places. And we need that correction. And that correction, that your rod and your staff, that correction, that discipline, that possible pain brings us, brings us comfort. You know, I work with, with kids for many years, and oftentimes the unruly kids who maybe live in a home where there's not a lot of discipline or parents that don't even pay attention to their kids so they can kind of freewheel it all the time. When they come into a scenario or situation where they have some, some, some discipline, they end up flourishing. And I have watched kids crave someone to care enough to tell them no in their lives. And if God is always only saying yes to everything, he doesn't really care about you. Because when you care about someone, you're going to say no sometimes. You're going to say stop. You're going to say don't go there. You're going to say don't do that. Run away from this kind of thinking. He's a shepherd who leads us to waters where we can drink. He leads us to pastures where we can eat easily and and freely in our fill. So there's kind of a, a quick survey of this idea of sheep and shepherd. And we're not even looking at all the number of times that uh, sheep and shepherd are referred to in the New Testament. And you, you're all thinking of parables that Jesus uses. But I want to bring us back to our passage. Because when Jesus saw the crowds, he had big compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And maybe you are looking around at our world right now and you can see people who are harassed and helpless. And I try to put myself in Jesus' shoes and, and try to think what I would do because as we read it, we're like, well, of course he would, he, would, he would think that. But as a Christian, my goal is to be like Christ. In every minute of every day, to think like him, to react like him. And Jesus, in this moment, when he's exhausted and hungry and tired, he looks at the crowd and has compassion. And I know that if I were in his shoes, that I would not look out on the crowd with compassion because I'd be hungry and tired and be thinking about myself. He'd had a long day. He had tried to rest earlier, and and he couldn't. But the fatigue did not hamper his deity. 
an empty stomach did not suppress the fruit of the Spirit in the person of Jesus. And I think about, as I look at the world we live in, and I look at people, and I ask myself, am I able to see through all the mess and see what Jesus saw in those people in the crowd? Am I able to to look through and understand their real plight, not just their perceived predicament? You know, because in that time, they were looking for someone to save them from the political turmoil that they lived in. They were an an oppressed people in in an occupied land. They were looking for somebody to rise up and take out the Romans and restore their their freedom. That's what they thought they needed. But Jesus could look through all of that and see that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He did not look out and see Democrats and Republicans. He could look past that. He did not look out and see, well, there's the straight and the gay and the trans and the, all the categories of confusion. He was able to look past that. He was able to look past the prejudice of black and brown and white, rich or poor. He's able to see beyond the neighborhood they live in or the town they live in. He's able to look past whether or not they're capitalists or communists or socialists or, what are Canadians, monarchists? Monarchists, parliamentarians, I don't know. (laughs) Says it all. He was able to look at those around him and not see masked and unmasked or vaccinated and unvaccinated. And all these categories we put everybody into, he could look past that. He could look past the prejudices and the jealousy and insecurities that every one of us brings to every interaction we have. Jesus wasn't trying to impress people. He could look and and look on them with, with compassion. His heart ached for them. See, I get so hung up on all these symptoms because all of those things, some of them are benign that I listed and some of them are not. But so much of the confusion of our culture are symptoms of people who are sheep without a shepherd. 
And I get hung up even as a parent. I want my kids not to fall into this sin and not to fall into this sin. And man, you got to stay away from this sin. And I spend so much time, even in youth ministry, trying to make sure that all the kids have the right worldview and that they're looking at everything the way they should and that they've got their head screwed on straight and that the guys are guys and that the girls are girls and all these things. And I'm like... Is, is my point, is, is the reason I'm here, is the reason that the church exists to make sure that everyone's a Republican capitalist Christian? Or is it to introduce them to the real, living, breathing person of Jesus Christ and to bring them from death to life? And this is hard for me because all those things are really important to me and they drive me nuts. And I get so hung up on making sure that everybody has the the right worldview that I forget that they're just sheep without a shepherd. And they found some new ways to sin. Or maybe they're not so new. And in every generation, there's a new rebellion against God and against the way that is right and the way that he has given us in his word. But it's the same as the rebellion last generation and it's the same as the rebellion the generation before that. It is against God. Because they're sheep without a shepherd. We want to be like Christ, and we want to see others the way Jesus sees others. So I'm constantly trying to separate what is it that I am supposed to be doing as a follower of Jesus. I'm supposed to be making disciples. And if that's what I'm supposed to be doing, then maybe some of this other stuff i got to set aside. I'm not saying condone evil. It's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, if I really trust in the Holy Spirit, if I can introduce them to the person of Jesus, I can introduce them to the true shepherd, that I trust that the Holy Spirit will do a work in all of us and in the people in this world who need him. So in rather trying to fix all the symptoms, let's bring them from death to life because they're harassed and helpless and they don't know him. In the next part, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. There are a lot of sheep without shepherds. There are a lot of sheep following other shepherds. And in that passage in Ezekiel, some of the stuff that I, that I skipped out there uh, the prophet Ezekiel is going after 
all of these horrible shepherds who are supposed to be leading the people to God and they're leading them astray and taking advantage of them. And it describes how he's taking the sheep and feeding, and they're feeding on the grass that they have trampled. And they, people are following someone. It seems that everyone is following something or someone, whether they know it or not. And it's leading them astray. And it's leading them into danger. And it's leading them down paths of destruction. There are a lot of sheep without a shepherd. The harvest is plentiful. Think of a crop that is, you know, you go drive around and you see the the bean fields and the corn fields and they're ready. They're ready to be harvested. But what happens if those fields aren't harvested? What happens if that corn just is left standing? As a, as a hunter, I know that that's where I want to go hunt because now the deer have a lot of food. It's going to be wasted. If the harvest is not brought in, the deer are going to get it. Jesus is saying we've got a labor shortage. which is something I think we're kind of experiencing right now. You know, when you're seeing restaurants that, that have shortened times when they're open because they, they don't have the staff. What happens when you go to a restaurant and they don't have enough staff? Either they close or you wait a long time, right? Because there's not enough people to do the work. God is saying that there's, Jesus is saying that there's not enough people to do all the work that he has prepared for us to do. He says that the fields are ripe. It's ready. But the laborers are few. And I think of, we're getting ready to, we're on the path of doing this this center shot uh, ministry, um, which is using bow and arrow to engage with our community so that we can preach the gospel. And we have come to you and said, hey, we need some startup money. And you guys have gone above and beyond the call of duty. As of last week, we, asked, we were asking for, for five grand, and you have given $6,500 already. Like Pastor Phil and I were sitting in the office the other day just blown away. And I know that you guys are ready to see the harvest come in here at First Baptist Church of Holly. Now we're in a place where we've got to train up people to help with this program. And we've got to do some things like uh, uh, training people to how to shoot the bows and how to be able to run the program. We're doing these things so that we can preach the gospel because we believe that the harvest is plentiful here in Holly and that children and families are ready to turn to Jesus. They just need to be shown the way. 
And we look forward to seeing how God's going to use our church through, through a silly program like an Olympic bow shooting program. I think God's going to do great things because we live in a city surrounded by people who are harassed and helpless, who are sheep without a shepherd, and they need Jesus, and they need him now. So our two action steps, one, pray for a heart like Jesus. Pray for a heart like Jesus so that when you run into somebody at the store or walking down the street or you know, they're, they're the, the checkout lady or your, your waitress or your fellow employee so that when you interact with them, pray that Jesus would help you to see them the way he sees them. And then he could strip away your insecurities and, and prejudice and, and political hang-ups and whatever it is that's creating barriers and walls between you and these other people. Pray that we can move past that and see them like Jesus. So pray for a heart like Jesus. And number two, pray for laborers. Pray for laborers. He says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And I pray that as you pray that, he's going to say, what about you? (laughs) I believe he will. I'm going to pray. I appreciate you putting up with me this morning. Lord, as a... As the guys come back and we can sing this song, Spirit of the Living God, uh, fall fresh on me. That is our, our prayer, Lord, that, um, that your spirit, your, your life-giving water would renew our hearts, energize us to do the work that you have set out for us to do, Lord. I pray that we would be able to look out onto those that aren't sitting in here with us this morning and see sheep without shepherds who need you. Give us compassion and a heart for the lost like we've never had before, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand with us as we sing one last song? Sweet.